Welcome to the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, where we listen, learn, and love together. Our speaker today is Pastor Jonathan Panado. Recently, there has been much discussion regarding the place of women in the church and in Scripture, and in my opinion, critical to this discussion is how Jesus interacted with women. Wouldn't you say? And so what we will be doing for the next few weeks is that we will be looking at five New Testament stories. Five stories from the Gospels. We will be looking at the story of the Samaritan woman. We will be looking at the story of the Syrophoenician woman. We will be looking at the story of the woman caught in adultery. We will be looking at the story of the woman with the alabaster box. And finally, we will be looking at the story of the widow. And in the end, we will see how these stories illustrate Jesus' interaction with women. And I hope that it will help bring greater clarity in our minds regarding the role of women in the church and in Scripture. And so my sermon this morning is entitled, Jesus and Women. Let us bow our heads one more time for a word of prayer. Father, we need, once again, of your Holy Spirit to be with us. Especially as we open Scripture, we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Bible. And to give us understanding, especially on this topic of women in church and in the Bible. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. And verse 27. We will begin this morning in Genesis chapter 1. And verse 27. And again, let me know somehow when you have it, okay? Say amen or say anything. You know, just let me know that you have it. We want to we do this together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. The Bible says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The Bible is very clear. One of the first passages of Scripture is very clear that men, just as much as women, are the image of God. The Bible is clear. In the image of God, he created them, plural. Male and female, he created them. Women are the bearers of the image of God. Whatever it means to be female, it means that females represent to us and are a reflection to us of who God is. In fact, God uses the characteristics of women to describe himself. I don't know if you knew that or not. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 13. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 13. 
Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 13. Okay, good. Let's read it. Notice what the Bible says. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting that God himself likens his love and his comfort for Jerusalem to the love and the comfort that a mother has for her child? And as strange as it may seem to some of you here, we could rightly, according to this passage, speak of the motherly love of God. In fact, that word there for compassion and for comfort is derived from the Hebrew word which means the womb or the uterus. I don't have a womb. I don't have a uterus. But for those of you who do, isn't there a special connection to, to, to what comes to, to the child, to the product of your womb? Isn't there a special connection, a connection like no other? In fact, if you had to ask a, a, a woman if they have to choose between their husband or their children, nine times out of ten, what will they choose? Their children, without a shadow of a doubt. There is a special connection there. And that same word used for womb is the same word from which the word comfort is described from in the Hebrew. And God likens himself to that. He says, as a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. You see, women are indeed the bearers of the image of God. Women in their being, in who they are, come to give us a glimpse of who God is. Now, I remember I was astonished and and didn't know what to think the first time that I heard someone tell me, no, women are not created in the image of God. Only men are created in the image of God. And I couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe it. And I I don't know that they think or or they, they realize the practical implications of what they are saying. It's the same line of reasoning that historically has justified inequality and genocide of those of a different race, gender, nationality, or skin color. My friends, women are the image of God. They are bearers of the image of God, just as men are. Granted, we are different. Men and women are different. But different does not mean better or worse. Different does not somehow mean not equal. And let me say it again right here, just in case you didn't know this, or just to make the record straight. Women are just as intelligent as men, if not more intelligent. (laughs) Women are just as brave as men are, if not braver. Women are just as good in writing and writers and authors as men are. In fact, the irony of our church is that we have a historical figure in our church. One of the founding figures in the Seventh-day Adventist church was a woman. And she was a prolific writer. In fact, I don't know if you know or not, but she is the most translated author in U.S. history of any gender. Unbelievable woman. Women are just as good musicians as men are. Women can be just as good leaders as men are, if not better. Women can be just as good as teachers um, as men are, if not better. Women can even be just as good preachers as men are, if not better. In fact, last week at the Advent Church, it was one of the elders, a female elder, who was preaching. 
and I was blessed by it. Women are, can be just as spiritual, if not more spiritual, than men are. Women are men's equal in every aspect and in every regard. Women are not inferior to men. It is only sinful human culture and sinful human nature that is always looking to put others down. Whether it be women or whether it be children or whether it be those of a different skin color or those of a different race or ethnicity or those of a different level of education or those of a different economical standing. But in the great equalizing text of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, In Jesus Christ, there is no more difference. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. The great barriers which serve to, to, to make discrimination against one another. Nationality and gender or economical status. The Apostle Paul says there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. I don't know if you knew, but in biblical times or in the times of Jesus, women could not have access to the temple the way men did. Women were relegated to the outer court where the Gentiles were because they were women. Paul says, no, in Jesus Christ, there is no difference. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And though the Bible was written in a male-dominated culture and in a male-dominated society, there are numerous Old Testament passages that speak to us of the equality of women and men. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 27. We're going to highlight a few here. Numbers chapter 27. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 1. Amen? Amen? Okay. Numbers chapter 27 and verse 1, the Bible says, The daughters of Zelophadad. Zelophadad had five daughters. And the daughters of Zelophadad came to came to Moses, and uh, there's a lot of uh, strange names there, so we won't read it. But they came to Moses, verse 2, and they stood before Moses and Eleazar the priest and the leaders of the whole assembly at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, and they said, verse 3, our father died in the wilderness. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin, and he left no sons. Zelophadad was blessed with having five daughters. And so further on, verse 3 says, Our father died in the wilderness, but he died for his own sin. He left no sons. Verse 4, Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. Back in those days, women couldn't own property. And daughters did not receive the inheritance from, from their parents, from their father. And so they're saying, why should the inheritance go to waste? Give us the inheritance that belonged to our father. Give it to us. And so Moses doesn't know what to do. He's in a male-dominated society. This is unheard of for women to ask for inheritance, for women to ask for property. He's not sure what to do. And so he goes to the Lord in verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. And the Lord said to him, what Zelophadad's daughters are saying is 
right. Is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and give their father's inheritance to them. In a time when this was unheard of, the Lord says they are right. Give them property. There is another Old Testament passage that speaks to the equality of men and women. Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. In Judges chapter 4, there is a woman by the name of Deborah. Have you heard of her? Deborah? Deborah was a prophetess. But not only was she a prophetess, but the Bible says that she was a judge. Now, a judge in those days was basically the leader of the children of Israel. Uh, Gideon was a judge. Samson was a judge. Samuel was a judge. Before the times of the king, the leader of God's people were the judges. And the Bible says that Deborah, a woman, was a judge of God's people. She, a woman, was the leader of God's people. Sink in? Any amens from that? In a time when that was unheard of. Deborah was a judge, a leader of God's people. And it's interesting because there's also another gentleman by the name of, uh, I think, Barak or something like that, or Barak, I'm not sure, one of the two. Either way, it would work, right? And so Barak is a general, and he has to go fight against Sisera, a Canaanite, another Canaanite general who's oppressing them. And, and, and Barak does not want to go by himself to fight Sisera. In fact, he tells Deborah, I'll only go to fight if you come along with me. And so Deborah comes along in the battle, and uh, Deborah tells him, well, since you were so afraid to go by yourself, uh, the God, God is going to give the victory into the hand of a woman and unto the hand of a man. And so Barak starts fighting against Sisera. They start defeating them. Sisera flees, and he's running. I don't know if any of you have been in a battle or anything like that, but Sisera is running away. He's exhausted from fighting, and he comes to the tent of an Israelite woman, and her name is Jael. And he's tired and he's exhausted and he asked Jael if he could rest in that tent, if she could hide him. And so sure enough, she hides him and and she gives him some milk or he's thirsty. He drinks, he falls asleep in her tent. And Jael, an Israelite woman, while he is asleep, talk about bravery, talk about bravado. Jael takes the tent peg, a stake, puts it to his head and down it comes with a hammer. And pins him to the ground. Takes courage. That takes courage. I don't know that I could do that. I have a hard time killing spiders and and cockroaches and that kind of stuff. Talk about bravery. Talk about bravery. There is another book in the Bible uh, by the name of um, Ruth. Ruth is a woman. A whole book in the Old Testament uh, named after a woman, dedicated to a woman, and she wasn't even an Israelite, she was a Moabitess, a woman who had the, who had the courage to accompany her mother-in-law to a foreign land, to a strange place, and it was, and it was through uh, her diligent effort, through her industry, that she financially secured her future and she earned the respect and the admiration and affection of Boaz. And it was through Ruth, a Moabitess woman, that the Messiah was eventually born. 
Yes, you'll check. And Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. She was a Gentile. Ruth was the great-grandmother of of David, the king of Israel. There is another book in the Bible that speaks to the equality of men and women, a book by the name of Esther, another brave and courageous woman who delivered and saved her people from genocide. And finally, this is not the last example, but in Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31 was not written by a woman, but it was written by King Lemuel. But Proverbs chapter 31 is the teaching that King Lemuel's mother taught him. And chapter 31 is a reflection of the thoughts and the insights of the mother of King Lemuel. And it's interesting because in this chapter it says that women are worth far more than rubies. Women, you are priceless. I don't know if you know that or not or if anyone has told you that or not, but women, you are priceless. Women are, are far more, more worthy than rubies. And this woman that, that, that describes here is, is a hard worker, has vision. This woman understands commerce and business and investing. This woman is multi-talented. This woman is generous. This woman is hospitable. This woman is even well-dressed. Ladies, it's okay to dress well. This woman is strong, the woman of Proverbs 31. She is strong. She leads herself with dignity. She is assertive. She speaks with wisdom. She has knowledge, so much knowledge that she is able to teach. My friends, the Bible is clear. The Old Testament is clear when it speaks to us of the equality of men and women. But even though the Old Testament has such a positive view of women... When we come to the intertestamental time period, there is this deterioration in the understanding of who women are. And so there was the intertestamental time period was those 400 years between Malachi and the book of Matthew, uh, 400 years uh, before Jesus came. And there's this deterioration in the minds of the people regarding women. And so there was the second century Jewish scholar, his name was Ben Zirach, and he writes this about women. Women can be good wives and mothers and are to be respected. But if you don't like your wife, don't trust her. Keep records of the supplies that you issue to her. Deed no property to her. Don't let her support you financially. Women are responsible for sin coming into the world and so their spite is unbearable. He goes on to say, daughters are a disaster, a total loss, a constant source of shame. Do not sit down with women. A man's spite is preferable to the kindness of a woman, he says. Women give rise to shame and reproach. Even though the Old Testament places such a high value on, on the life of women, by the time of the New Testament and the arrival of Jesus, women were considered to be on all levels inferior to men. And so the question is, when Jesus comes on the scene, what was his attitude towards women? Did he hold to these same misogynistic views? Or did he seek to bring reform? Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. 
Luke chapter 1. Oh, good. Amen. All right. That was quick. All right. Luke chapter 1. I still haven't found it. Give me a little bit of time here to, to get there. Luke chapter 1. What we're going to find out is that the New Testament also places a high regard for women, uh, especially Luke. And Luke, in both in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, he wrote both books. He portrays a very positive view of women. And so here in the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, in the Nativity story, the Nativity story begins as a story of contrasts. On one side you have Zechariah, who is a male, he is a Levite, he is a priest, and on the other hand you have Mary, who is a woman, a young woman, a virgin. In those times, women were, uh, ladies were given to, to be wed in their teenage years. She was very young. And so you have a male... Levite, priest, the angel of the Lord appears to him as he is ministering before the people in the temple. The angel Gabriel appears to him and says, you will have a child. And Zechariah's response is, his response was unbelief. He didn't believe it. A male, a Levite, a priest. He doesn't believe it. An angel comes to him. He is ministering before God's people, and he does not believe the word of the Lord. And so he is struck dumb, mute. He's unable to speak the entire length of the pregnancy. And now on the other side, you have Mary, a woman, a young woman, a virgin. And that same angel, Gabriel, comes to her and says, you will bear a child. And Mary believes. And has faith. A story of contrasts. In fact, the angel comes to her and he says, You, Mary, a teenage teenage girl, you, Mary, are highly favored of God. She was an unbelievable woman. And then Mary, shortly thereafter, as she visits Elizabeth, Mary breaks out into song. And and sometimes we believe that that song, well, the Holy Spirit just came upon her and she just started speaking. But no. Yes, the Holy Spirit did come upon her. But the words that came out out of Mary's mouth and Mary's song are words and thoughts and feelings and emotions that were already inside of her. And in Mary's song, it gives us a glimpse into the mind and her thoughts and her feelings of this amazing teenage woman. And in her song, if we read it there in verse 46, if you take time to read it, Mary breaks out into praise of God and salvation. And into, she speaks about humility and she speaks about mercy. Mary undoubtedly was a woman with boundless compassion for the oppressed, along with a clear vision for the lifting of that oppression. Mary is also seen as an intelligent woman. Who knows that God has grace for her entire community and for all who believe. Mary becomes a model of faith, of humility, of strength, and of intelligence for all believers. And Mary was the mother of Jesus. Jesus was raised by an extraordinary woman who must have had enormous influence on his attitude towards women. And so let's, let's read a few other passages here in Matthew chapter 12. Jump to Matthew chapter 12. This is an astonishing passage that Jesus speaks about. I don't know if you knew or not, but did you know that Jesus had female disciples? I don't know if you knew that or not. Jesus had female disciples. 
Matthew chapter 12 gives us a glimpse of that. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and who? His brothers. All right, now keep that in mind here. We're gonna, we're, that's gonna be, that, that notion is going to be repeated over and over again. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied, who is my mother and who is my brother? And then pointing to who? Pointing to his disciples. Keep that in mind. Pointing to his disciples, he says, here are my mother and Brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and wait, 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 where, where did that come out of? So far, it's just been mother and brothers, mother and brothers, mother and brothers, mother and brothers. But then he points to his disciples and he said, Whoever does the will of my Father is my brother and my sister and my mother. You see, Jesus had women disciples. Here's another, another passage is found in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Though after the resurrection, there's a woman by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas. And it specifically says that Dorcas was a disciple of Jesus in the feminine tense. She was a disciple. Turn to Luke chapter 8. Here's another scandalous passage. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. Luke chapter 8 and verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, verse 2, and also some women traveling with Jesus from town to town. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene. We'll come back to her here a little bit. From whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. Many other women. And these women were helping to support them out of their own means. And so Luke is being very intentional, telling us women disciples traveled with Jesus. It wasn't just the twelve. And not only that, but it was the women disciples. And Luke wants us to know this. It was the women disciples who paid for the Jesus movement in its early years. Not the twelve. The twelve didn't pay for it. They were broke. They were fishermen. They were poor. They didn't have any money. It was the women who paid for the Jesus movement. And and it mentions one woman in particular. It says Mary called Magdalene. Well, we'll look a little bit more at Mary, but there's another story just a couple chapters after this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, where it says that Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Jesus is teaching, and then it says that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, that term, sitting at the feet of Jesus, is a very specific term used in the New Testament to speak about the relationship between a disciple and a master. Paul, in the book of Acts, Paul says that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the great rabbi. In Luke chapter 8, verse 35, it says that the demoniac came and sat at the feet of Jesus after Jesus had delivered him. He sat at the feet of Jesus, and then Jesus sends the demoniac into the garrisons to preach the gospel. And here is Mary, a disciple of Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and Martha's upset. And Martha's complaining. 
And I'm not exactly sure what's going on and what is motivating the, the anger within Martha, but she tells Jesus, tell my sister to come here in the kitchen where she belongs. I don't know what was going in the mind of Martha, but she was telling Jesus, tell her to come in the kitchen to help. And Jesus responds to Martha and he says, no, Mary has chosen what is most important. She has chosen the bread of life. You see, Jesus was more interested in a good student and in a good disciple rather than in a good plate. Mary, as a female disciple of Jesus, was sitting at his feet. Martha, upset and perhaps even embarrassed that she was sitting there with all the men. No, you don't belong there. Come over here. In Mark chapter 15, there is another. Turn turn your Bibles there to Mark chapter 15. Here's another hint of the female disciples of Jesus. Mark chapter 15. In verse 40. Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. At the cross, at the crucifixion, some women were watching from a distance. Now let's just stop there. Where were the men? As far as we know, they had fled. I I think only John was the only one who was there at the crucifixion. All the other men, all his male disciples had fled. The women are there. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and and, and of of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, verse 41, referencing Luke chapter 8, in Galilee, these women had followed him and had cared for his needs. Many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem were also there. But where were the men? And in fact, when we read the story of the resurrection... Who were the first ones to be at the grave? The women, Mary Magdalene. And it was to the women, it was to the women disciples of Jesus that they were the first ones to witness the reality of the resurrection. And it was to the women that it was commissioned to tell others. Women were the first evangelists of the resurrection of Jesus. While the men were too afraid hiding in the upper room. And when the women came and told the men that Jesus had resurrected, the men didn't believe it. Jesus had women disciples. Women played a crucial role in the ministry of Jesus. And not only that, but we see that Jesus tailored his messages to speak to everyone, women included. And Jesus oftentimes held up women as examples of faith to be followed. He holds up the pagan Gentile widow of Zarephath as a model of faith. And he says there were many children who had died in Israel. But Elijah was sent to one, a widow of Zarephath. A woman that is now an example of faith even though she was pagan and Gentile. An example for us is a model of faith. In his parables, Jesus speaks and he likens the kingdom of heaven to being like the mending of a garment. Which at that time was was the job of women to mend garments. And and Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to that job and to that task in that time that was was for women. So that women could connect with his teaching. He likens the kingdom of heaven to to a kneading trough and to yeast. Again, another task of women in those days so that women could connect in his teaching to what he was talking about. 
He points to widows as an example of perseverance in prayer. He points to widows as an example of generosity. There is a parable of bridesmaid. He takes the example of a wedding and bridesmaids as a symbol for the preparation for his second coming. It's not the parable of the ten groomsmen. It's the parable of the ten virgins and the bridesmaids. The earnestness that God has in saving the lost is likened to a woman searching for a lost coin. And so, my friends, the Old Testament teaches us that women are indeed the image of God. God uses the imagery of women to describe who he is. The Old Testament places a high regard for women as men's equal. The New Testament also has a high regard for women. Mary undoubtedly played a crucial role in Jesus' upbringing and interaction with women. Throughout all the Gospels, Jesus treats all women with respect and compassion. Jesus tailored his messages to speak to the heart of women. And these messages and stories were intentionally chosen to be included in the Gospels. And so what is God asking of us? God, my friends, is calling us to change our paradigm of women here at this church. Perhaps women also need to change their own image of who they are or what God is calling them to be. God has gifted the women of this church. He has given you gifts. And and I can't but help think about, and I don't know, I can't help to think about the story of Mary and Martha. Because I only see the women in the kitchen. Where are the men? Isn't that right? And I've heard from some of the ladies that they want to be here. They want to participate in the teaching and the worship. But it's always the women who are in the kitchen. Warming up the food. Setting up the tables. Cleaning up the tables afterwards. My friend, God is, has gifted the women of this church. Let us affirm the women of this church. Our women are here for far more than cooking and warming up the food and cleaning on our fellowship meal. There are spiritual leaders here in this church among our women. There are women whom God is calling to minister to others. And like I said, the church where I attended last week, a woman was preaching and it was a blessing. Oh, that we could have a woman preach here at our church. Any volunteers? Let me know. God is calling us to change our paradigm of women. Women, God is calling you. He has gifted you. And he is calling you to take part in this church, to make this church everything that God wants it to be. This podcast is brought to you by the Jacksonville First Seventh-day Adventist Church. Connect with them at www.jaxsda.org or on Facebook and YouTube. We look forward to sharing more inspiring messages with you.